Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Alan Melchior here. This is Rates and Barrels. I'm here with Eno Saris. And uh, we've had a few uh, spring training games in the books, you know, so good time is any to review some of the early news out of the spring training site. So that's pretty much going to be the theme here. It's all injuries. <laughs> Isn't it always, though? <laughs> well, this early, there's not too much to talk about about in terms of performance, but that's not going to stop us either, right? We'll look at a right, few early right. numbers. But yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be a lot of injury news. It's a drag, but you know, we all, I think if we've been playing for a while, we all know the drill at this point. So speaking of which, uh, the 2023 Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit is available now on The Athletic to get you ready for those drafts that you still have coming up. Just go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. And uh, there you can sign up for a great deal, $2 a month for the first year. And that gets you in the door for the draft kit and, of course, for everything else. So, you know, let's dig right yeah. now. Right now, I've got up those deep sleepers that we talked about, the deep pitching sleepers that we talked about last week. Finally got them on the site. And I realized, looking back, that in last year's Deep Sleeper article, I recommended Spencer Strider. So obviously, in this year's article, I will also recommend someone who will break the rookie record for strikeout rate. It's Matt. That's that's a fair, you know, that's a fair promise. <laughs> so there, there's your value right there. I love it. So yeah, go check it out. And again, you get a great deal on it as well. So yeah, now let's go ahead and uh, dig into some of these early news items. And as you kind of, uh, uh, you know, pre, uh, pre-announced, uh, you know, we, we have some bad news, uh, especially in terms of pitchers. Actually, one kind of good news item we'll get to, but a couple of really bad news items. Tyler Glass now out six to eight weeks with an oblique strain. He is currently sitting at an 85 ADP on Fantasy Pros. Obviously, that's not going to be the ADP going forward. So uh, how long should we wait to, you know, take a, I guess now we could call it, take a flyer on Tyler Glass now and, and who uh, in the race rotation uh, now maybe gets a chance. You know what's weird about it? I only had him down for like 130 innings. So he could still get to 130 innings. <laughs> I mean, like, he's going to start in like May, maybe. And he'll have one more IL stint and he'll get to 120, 130 innings. He's still good. I mean, yes, it doesn't, it's not the right foot. And it's also annoying because it reminds you that it's just not all only about the arm. There's all the other parts of the body that can fail. And uh, it is unfortunate for him. Throwing hard is a source of injury. I think that's something you should think about when you're building your team, that maybe some soft tossers that will give you innings totals are good. Like, for example, on my deep sleeper list, I have Kyle Gibson. I'm not recommending him because I think he's going to break out. I'm not recommending him because I think he's going to be amazing. I'm recommending him because he's top five in innings in the last eight years. 
He's probably going to pitch. It might not be that bad. It'll be useful and he'll give you innings. So I think there's some sort of marriage between innings and quality that you have to think about. And I don't know. It's different for everybody. People, There's a lot of people who are super risk averse. Right now, I'm in my TGFBI draft. And uh, I think we're in the 12th round. And Tyler Glass now has not gone. Uh, he sits there lonely atop the pitching queue and everybody's wondering when somebody's going to go. I have as starting pitchers, Shane McClanahan, uh, Hunter Green, and Luis Garcia. So I keep looking at him and I keep wondering when I'm going to take the jump. The problem is also the shape of the innings has changed. If we thought we were going to get 130 innings, but at least he would start the season with us, then we could think, okay, we can start the season with him. If there is a big injury, we drop him, you know, the decision is later. But starting the season with somebody on your bench who's injured is a different proposition. Yeah, that that it is. And uh, your discussion of your TGFBI draft, uh, that's a, a good segue for me to talk about the next news item, and that is Joe Musgrove, uh, who hurt his toe, broke his toe, dropping a kettlebell on it, his big left toe. So that's news that hurts uh, in, in a couple of different ways. Uh, now, he, I took him. I've taken him already. My TGFBI is also in round 12. I took him in round eight. And now I'm wondering After if I've already news? made my first drafting blunder. <laughs> After the news or before the After news? After the news. Because uh, I, I figure... His doesn't seem... It's not... A, obliques are worse. For sure. I exactly. I mean, they're both pain-related injuries, but obliques are more uh, important to the... Uh, the process of throwing fast, uh, like for, for example, torso, uh, tor- uh, uh, was it, torso rotation, speed, velocity, is uh, describes twenty five percent of your fastball velocity, so it's probably the biggest thing, and that's your obliques. The obliques are a big part of that. So um, I don't know. I think uh, the 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 prognosis on Musgrove was two weeks no throwing, and then he'll start throwing. Exactly. So he'd just be two weeks behind, and it could be like the Wheeler thing, where we all freaked out about Wheeler last spring, and then uh, he. I don't even know if he missed a start. Maybe he missed a start. You can be two weeks behind in spring. Uh, you know, two weeks from now, he he pitches one inning, then he pitches three innings, and then or two innings, and he pitches three innings, then he can pitch four probably opening week. That was that was kind of my thinking. Uh, it also might be a mistake to just assume that it's only going to be two weeks. I mean, that's you know best case scenario. Right. So there's 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 a big risk because the timetable is completely undetermined at this point. But I made a calculation at that point that I thought there was a leveling off of the the pitching quality at round eight, and why not get a potential SP two as my sp3 right that was the thing i mean right now i'm looking at pitchers that for pitchers that are healthy i'm looking at pitchers that are uh projected by my model to have mid threes and higher eras three five three six three seven right league average is going to be four one or something so i'm looking at three seven tyler glass now is projected by my thing to have a two two era So, you know, it's the same thing with Musgrove. It's like, oh, there's a 3-3 ERA on the table who's a little bit hurt, but not a lot hurt. Or I'm going to go get like 3-7 oatmeal, you know. So And I just, I think yeah. if you have some, if you have, I think it also depends on how many pitches you have in hand. Like how many pitches did you, how many starting pitches did you have before you had? I had two, but, and here's where I, I, I am questioning myself. One of them is Jacob deGrom. <laughs> so going risky. I see your future. Going risky though, with the first two of three. 
Which yeah. is not well. I have Shane McClanahan and a rookie, so if I made Tyler Glass on my four, I, there would be a fair amount of risk. But I don't know. Pitching staffs are risky, man. They, they just are. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to get around that. I got Max Freed in, in between the two, so I feel feel great about that. And that I just literally, yeah, as we were talking, picked sure. up Pablo Lopez for SP four. So that's good. You you kind of went more. You kind of alternated like super high in quality with closer innings. Although Pablo's had some issues with innings. Yeah. Yeah, I don't wouldn't put him in the Gibson category in terms of reliability. Obviously, a much higher ceiling than Gibson. Right. But uh, you mentioned Luis Garcia. I had him in the queue. I think right after, uh, right after Pablo Lopez. Uh, you know, Chris Bassett. I think is is pretty safe. They're all going kind of in the same neighborhood. So yeah, I, especially given how I've drafted so far, I you know I may need to get Kyle Gibson on there eventually. <laughs> but yeah, Glass now is dropping further than Musgrove. Yeah, I think think he should. In, in all honesty, because of the type of injury and the, the timetable as we know it. So uh, that said, in San Diego, any fallout there, uh, obviously, you know, being cautious with drafting Musgrove, but uh, any fallout in terms of who could replace him that would make any difference in their draft status? Um, you know, uh, it's pretty interesting. One thing I saw was that Nick Martinez threw four innings. I was really impressed. I mean, that's like four innings at this point. Everybody else is throwing two. And I thought it might be the WBC, but he's opted out of the WBC. So um, I think Nick Martinez may be a starter all year. And I think this injury solidifies that. Yeah. And so now, now you're talking about Waka is the four, you know, in to begin the year. And uh, who is going to step up at the back end of that rotation? And you start to see why this rotation does not have a ton of depth. So it's going to be Jay Groom. Seth Lugo, I think, too. Seth Lugo. But, I mean, then there's also the question of, uh, you know, if Seth Lugo was going to be a starter, uh, you know, should he be pitching two inning stints already? And... uh, I'm going to answer that question right now because <laughs> I don't think he has been. I've been I've been watching the Padres. I don't even know if he's pitched yet for the Padres. I don't think so. Um, and again, it's early. You know, most teams have played like five six, five or six games at most. Yeah, but do, would you? One thing you do notice is uh, that, uh, for example, Nick Martinez has six innings pitched. That's why he went to four. Jay Groom already has 3.2 innings pitched. That's interesting. Well, this is the kind of spring training development that we should be paying attention to. And Ryan Weathers has four and a third. Hmm. Um, I do want to switch over here real quick. I do have spring training stuff numbers. <laughs> and no Ryan Weathers. I hate it. It's always like, did they pitch in front of the machines? Yeah. Ryan Weathers has poor fastball shape. Uh, he does have six strikeouts against one walk, and he has the second most innings. Uh, Seth Lugo has pitched one game and has two innings. Okay. So that's that's starter worth workload, though. Yeah. That's that's he's on the starter workload, but he's behind Groom and Weathers, which I think is interesting. And again, this early, it's so hard um, so, to tell if that means anything. Uh, I'm not sure where he is. In, but if, I would see where what his next start is if Seth yeah. Lugo if Seth Lugo goes four in the next one. He's probably jumping up ahead of Weathers and Groom, and he's the five. Yeah. All right. Well, a situation to watch, at least for the the early weeks, and obviously 
Musgrove uh, situation to watch very closely too, because we don't really know a whole lot yet about the timetable. Uh, and I did say there was one piece of, of pretty good news, and that is that Chris Sale is going to be on a mound in a competitive situation. He's going to make his first spring training start in his first start period since last July, um, coming off of the fractured pinky. So he is going to start on Monday. Sale right now on Fancy Pros with a 154 ADP. So heavily discounted, but again, for, for good reason. He has not pitched much the last couple of years. Uh, I, I, that he also did not come, he didn't come back with his full stuff when he did. Uh, at least not by by the stuff rating. So we the the, the pitching model has him at 3.73 ERA. I, I'm not going to claim that that's you know rock solid and he has no upside beyond that. It's obvious that he's Chris Sale. So I'm pretty interested to see how this uh, this start looks. Yeah. So something to watch on Monday. Mark your calendars for that. That ADP that seems pretty much risk risk free to me. Um, Especially since, despite the stuff numbers being down, he had a three ERA for the last you know two seasons. He tried to get out there, so yeah. I mean, it's definitely. I think where he's going, he's an interesting pitcher. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, well, let's uh, move on over to hitters. Actually, a lot more going on here with hitter news. The big, big news, of course, is Gavin Lux is out for 2023. We just talked about him, you know, last week and some good developments uh, on, on driveline, a little bit of excitement around that. But, of course, it's just a terrible news that uh, he'll be missing the season with a torn ACL in his right knee. He got injured during our uh, Monday episode. I actually did the little breaking news voice with uh, Chris Welsh and uh, uh, and was watching the replay and live while we were recording the, the audio. So it was it was pretty rough to see. I have seen already a lineup for the Dodgers with Chris Taylor at short, which I thought was done with. But yeah. um, you know, with Miguel Rojas also, uh, uh, there was some. Some injury news with him, but I think Miguel Rojas as the starter, and you need to have somebody on the on the roster that can back him up, and I guess that's going to be Chris Taylor. Okay, well, I think that's significant because, yeah, I wouldn't expect Taylor to play much at shortstop unless whatever this is with Rojas is is serious or lingering. But I think just the fact that he'll see some reps there, or we can suppose that he's going to see some reps at shortstop given how the Dodgers manage the roster, given how versatile Taylor is. I have to think that that's, that's a pretty much of a, an upwards arrow for, for him. Yeah. I think it does uh, make sure that he gets close to full playing time because he had some risk of losing the center field job, at least against lefties to trace Thompson. So maybe he's 
the center fielder against uh, righties and the backup shortstop and the backup second baseman. I think it also, some people are asking if Michael Bush is going to get the call up. And I think the Taylor news of playing short suggests not really because you can have three players for second base. You don't really want Muncie over there, but if you've got Vargas, Taylor, and Muncie uh, to cover the position, you don't need to call up Bush. Um, so I don't know that uh, Bush is necessarily number one with a bullet on this depth chart. I will say uh, Miguel Vargas seems pretty assured of full playing time right now. What do you think about this Dodger lineup just in general? Uh, I think it's not as deep as it's been in recent years. And that's something that we really, I think, should take into account when we're drafting Dodgers and thinking about the, the run production aspect. Is there reason enough there, you think, maybe to, to downgrade, especially in the lower part of the portion, some of the Dodger hitters? It's possible. I also think of the Astros lineup that just won the World Series with Chaz McCormick Martin Maldonado, um, you know, up the middle. I think teams are okay with two empty spots if those spots are defensive forward. And the Dodgers are blessed with a great offensive catcher in Will Smith, uh, maybe the best offensive catcher in the business um, for non-fantasy reasons. I think fantasy is probably still uh, real muto. But um, you know, overall, you know, I think the lineup is still strong with the two weaknesses being Miguel Rojas and center field and the days that Taylor's in center. That's not that bad. Uh, I, but maybe I overrate David Peralta. I've always liked David Peralta. And I think at least against righties, uh, he's going to be a credible guy. I'm also interested in JD Martinez reuniting with the hitting coach that really helped him break out and, uh, Van Skoyak, the, the Dodgers hitting coach. And then even if J.D. Martinez doesn't, you know, improve, I mean, which is actually, uh, you know, not very likely at 35 years old, even if he doesn't improve, last year he was 20% better than league average. He's likely to be about that. So I think in terms of holes on this roster, you're talking about Rojas and Thompson, really. And uh, and that's that's not that bad. I, I will have to admit, I did was including Peralta in that. But as you were talking, I realized, you know, that's a pretty nice park factor upgrade for him coming mm-hmm. from Arizona. So, And he's yeah. been a guy who, you know, that barrels the ball, makes contact. Uh, you know, he, you know, he's an overall, he's he's better player than I think people realize. And, um, you know, at very least league average. Uh, but yeah, okay, if they've got three holes, then it's probably, you know, one more than they've had in the past. But, uh, you know, they also have the propensity to find people. What if this guy Outman, you know, turns out to be something? I think maybe Outman is maybe a little bit more likely to get uh, some playing time. Hayward seems penciled in as uh as a you know gonna play against lefty i mean uh righties yeah. uh, at some level so uh if hayward has a great spring uh could he play center i don't know at this stage i wouldn't assume so but who knows but you do you do make a very good point about the dodgers just finding people the the list is you know long and growing muncie taylor justin turner uh you know find people who were journeymen and make them into uh, really productive regulars. So, I mean, Ter- Thompson had a 142 WRC plus in uh, 255 plate appearances last year. So I think if you limit him to lefties, uh, you're getting the best out of him. Yeah. So probably not much there in terms of uh, 
changing your what you factor in for for run production just vargas is solid now though. yeah i think vargas is a pretty solid in my tgfbi i took lars newtbar big surprise <laughs> and miguel miguel vargas was the next very next pick so that's that and that was the 12th round so that tells you a little bit about where uh, these types of players are going i think newtbar um you know, has a little bit more assured shot at like something like a 260, 25, 10, but they're kind of similar uh, players in terms of making contact, having a little bit of speed. Uh, I believe a little bit more in Newt Bar's power. Yeah. yeah. I got sniped on Newt Bar, so uh, you, you, of course, got got the job done. No surprise there. <laughs> uh, let, let's pivot. To- Just cost me a second closer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's let's pivot to the Astros, who you mentioned just a moment ago, uh, and uh, some good news there. Uh, the general manager, Dana Brown, expects Jordan Alvarez to be ready for opening day. Of course, he's been dealing with a hand injury, which I feel like has been slightly uh, putting a damper on his ADP uh, on Fantasy Pros. He's uh, going to typically ninth. And uh, do you think he should be more, you know, like top four, top five uh, with that good news? He doesn't steal bases, and his knees aren't good. Um, those are the only two knocks I can put on the best hitter in baseball. Um, you know, uh, I continue my annoyance with the Astros in not really telling us what's wrong with his wrist. Yeah, and uh, and to some extent, Dusty almost flaunting it and being like, "Oh, with HIPAA, I don't have to tell you anything." Well, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly how you know, what HIPAA is, but I do know that it's tradition that the, that the manager tells you what's going on with, that's like what happens. You go into the dugout and the first thing that happens before every game is how's that injury? How's it going? How's it progressing? What's going on? When are they coming back? That's like the first 20 minutes of every manager scrum. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the Astros continue to annoy me when it comes to not telling us what's wrong. We don't know what's wrong with his wrist. Yeah. And that would be just that he might be ready for opening day. I would love to know what's wrong with his wrist. Right. You know, like it would it would be able to help us a little bit know what's going on. But he's got something on his wrist. Okay, thanks. Well, and, I, you know, I think you add that to the concerns that you, you raised uh, that maybe that, you know, you don't take the the, the, the chance on him if you're at five or, or six uh, for, for that reason. I mean, when it's when he, he's going like nine and ten, and down there, you start having some question marks, and you also start having more players uh, at the back end of the first round that don't steal bases. So if it's like Jordan Alvarez against Freddie Freeman, he does steal some bases, but he's older. Will he keep stealing bases? Uh, the age is a question mark. You know, that's you start having a few more question marks. Oh, you know, do I take Jordan Alvarez or Corbin Burns? Well, one's a pitcher. You know, they have the propensity to break. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll just be drafting in the dark uh, still, as far as uh, Jordan Alvarez is concerned. Now, you know, I'm. Oh, and it's listed as hand and wrist in different places. Those are totally different. That is true. Yeah, I said hand, you said wrist. So, uh, hamate. Well, and it might be a hand. And if it is, then that yeah, that's that's a big deal. Why am I seeing this in so many different places? Oh God. And that does. If it's a hamate, that's surgery, and he's then he loses. He doesn't. It doesn't necessarily impact his power. People think that it impacts his power. It's not necessarily that it'll impact his power, but but uh, surgery always means uh, recovery in you know three or four weeks or something at least. Yeah. 
Well, I'm really interested in your interpretation of this next piece of news. Uh, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are competing for the center field job. Now, that doesn't mean that there's just one starting role for the two of them. It's just who's going to cover center. But as you you know brought up, uh, I think it was last week, you know, that Jordan Walker, he could be on this roster opening day or if not, then probably very soon after. So there is going to be a, a glut in the outfield as the, the Cardinals always seem to have. So. I will say, Matt, you know, I look at this piece of news and to me, this is much worse news for Dylan Carlson than for Tyler O'Neill. But I know, what do you see? Yeah, Dylan Carlson has not wowed with the bat, um, you know, in terms of plate appearances, which is one of the, like I've been saying, is one of the things I look at. Uh, we got Jordan Walker with nine, Dylan Carlson with eight and Tyler O'Neill with eight. So they're obviously taking a long and hard look there. Uh, Alec Burleson also has seven, and he's maybe an option for a fourth outfielder if they decide to to send Walker down. I hesitate to even turn the page over to the standard results to look at what's going on. Oh my God, Jordan Walker is slugging 778, and Tyler O'Neill slugging 375, and Carlson is slugging, slugging 375. That's. Yeah, I'm not going to think about it. Don't think about it. Don't look at the results. Yeah, not this early, it's especially. too early to look at the results. But this is, uh, this is a staring match here that is happening at center field, and I think the projections uh, prefer uh, uh, Tyler O'Neill, and uh, so if they're going to go with Tyler and Carlson has options left, right? I will check so that because I'm, go, I'm actually not sure. Let me see. Yeah, I'm sure Carlson has options. Left. Let me see. It's right here on Fangraphs. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a three options left. Okay. He has oh wow. Left. Okay. I guess he never got option, but th- that would be kind of a seismic thing in a way, because he's been up for three years and hasn't been optioned. But um, uh, you know, it could also just be uh, we want to see how they look in these places, and uh, uh, you know, Carlson seems headed by the projections if this is going to be the case for a backup center field job. Well, let me reframe the question in a way that I think is more like more impactful for us when we're staring at our draft cues. Uh, mm. So I'm, I'm working on a piece, not right now, but you know, on either side of this podcast uh, on the top 10 players, I'm going to fade based on the chances they lose some playing time this year. And mm. in, in an initial draft, I thought maybe this, Maybe this is a signal that Tyler O'Neill should be one of those. I decided, no, I'm not going to fade him at all because I, I think whatever the competition is, I mean, he's going to, I think he's going to play full time no matter what, even though he's coming off of sort of a down year. I mean, he's projected for a 126 WRC plus Dylan Carlson's projected for 106. And if you think about the error bands around that, you know, that means Tyler O'Neill is likely to be anywhere from like 106 to 140 or whatever, you know. And uh, that means Br- that Dylan Carlson could be anywhere from sub, you know, league average uh, to to maybe where Tyler O'Neill is projected to be. So that's a big enough gap where I'm saying if there's a loser here, it's Dylan Carlson. Yeah, okay. So no reason to fade Tyler O'Neill uh, as far as either of us are concerned. Uh, all right, uh, moving uh, within the division here, uh, Seiya Suzuki could miss opening day for the Cubs. He's got no bleak strain. So any fallout here, either in terms of waiting on Suzuki or elevating somebody who could fill that slot? 
Yeah, I hate I hate these obliques, man. An oblique is like the worst thing to hear in spring because they're just going to be behind. He's projected to be the best hitter by the bat X. He's projected to be the best hitter on the Cubs. Uh, so obviously he'll be fine when he comes back in. Uh, but who would replace him in the meantime? I think this uh, solidifies Christopher Morell's I was thinking. Uh, uh, s- spot somewhere, right? Like makes him uh, more likely to, to hang on to third base and maybe Wisdom uh, or maybe Wisdom plays third, Morell plays the outfield. Um, Wisdom and Morell are both projected to be around league average. Uh, just looking at the projections, there's nobody that, that pops out other than like maybe Miles Mastrobioni makes the team on the back end because there's an extra roster spot, but I don't think that means that he starts. Nelson Velasquez could get more time in the outfield if he he could be make the roster spot make get that roster spot, but I don't think he gets a starting role. Mm-hmm. In terms of a starting role, I think that just solidifies morale and puts wisdom into some sort of platoon, because wisdom is not great uh, against righties. Um, so I guess you know there could be like there's it does open the window just a little bit for Matt Mervis. Yeah. And, it's a, just a little bit of a crack there for Matt Mervis, you know. Uh, and Matt Mervis does uh, lead the team in plate appearances, and he has uh, a 33% walk rate, um, which... I don't think he's going to sustain that, nuts. just going out of limb. I'm just guessing. But it is funny, because his, his walk rate really went up every step as he went up in, uh, you know, through the minors. Yeah. And so there was some question of, like, what's going on there? It seems like he does have a good eye. Uh, otherwise, he's struck out as many times as he's walked, and he's hit a double. <laughs> so, uh, I yeah, too too early to say that. But, you know, given that he does lead the lead, the, lead the Cubs in plate appearances, and Morrell is right there with him, those are the two, I think, that could benefit the most from this injury. All right. Well, let's uh, stick in the NL Central here uh, with the Brewers. Tyrone Taylor to miss at least the first month of the season with the right elbow sprain. Is there anybody, uh, I don't think Taylor was going especially high anyway, but is there anybody to fill the void there? Brian Anderson uh, comes to mind that uh, now becomes relevant. I have liked Brian Anderson in a lot of drafts so far and um, and still do. And for me, uh, this, uh, this puts a hold on a job for him, you know? So I think, uh, it also, uh, opens the door, I think for Garrett Mitchell, uh, to, to take the starting center field job. Um, he's been playing a lot, uh, for the Brewers and, uh, let me see. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that he leads them in plate appearances, not quite. He's he's one or two off the lead, uh, but you know the the big thing with Garrett uh, with Garrett Mitchell is you know he's shown some power, um, but you know another question for Garrett Mitchell is strikeouts, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he had decent strikeout rates in the minors, and then last year in his first taste of the majors of forty one percent. So I think we're all looking at that, and right now uh, he's struck out. Um, uh, three times in nine plate, nine, uh, plate appearances. So uh, that's not the best strikeout rate. That's something I'd watch. But I think Garrett Mitchell was was close to a lock anyway because a lot of a lot of places had uh, Tyrone Taylor as a corner outfielder. But 
Um, I think this makes it more likely he makes the team. Maybe Sal Freelich, uh it backs up Brian Anderson in right field and the opening day. It makes maybe, maybe Bryce Turang makes the roster now because uh, Luis Urias, Willie Damas, Bryce Turang, Rowdy Telez across the infield. Um, I think that is more likely now too. Uh, although how excited I'm about Bryce Turang, I don't know. I, you know, the power has not really been there and, uh, powerless guys, uh, have to do everything else for me to really get to the table. And, uh, you know, the walks are there. Maybe the contact is there. The defense should be there, but does that make him a great fantasy option? I don't know. The projections are for like a 230 average with, you know, even a full season, uh, you know, he would give you 12 homers and 15 stolen bases or something. Yeah, which is something more, a little more exciting with maybe a 260, 270 average. But, uh, you know, that fills a, a maybe a late round deep need. league. Guy. Yeah, or certainly deep yeah. league. Yeah. Uh, now, here's a, a news item we were talking about just before we started recording. You know, Brendan Rogers has dislocated his shoulder. Uh, there was a piece on MLB.com that suggested that uh, Alan Trejo would be the most likely player to, to step in, fill in for Rodgers. I've not seen a timetable. I think maybe, you know, you've seen something a little bit more updated and detailed uh, than I have. Uh, what's what's your take on the situation? They said that there was some damage to the shoulder capsule and that surgery is on the table and he might miss the season. That's unfortunate because I had Rodgers in one of my breakout articles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember which one, uh, but it's too bad because he had been progressing in his career. It's also too bad for the Rockies uh, because he's one of their uh, few good players. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think Alan Trejo is uh, a very good player. We're talking about a guy uh, who's had very inconsistent power. Uh, even if he does get to that power, he's got very little patience and uh, contact is also a question mark. But um, if you're looking for uh, sort of a warm body that can hit 250 uh, with uh, 15 homers for you, uh, I don't think that, you know, with Garrett Hampson gone, I don't really see that much uh, else as an option. Maybe uh, non-roster Harold Castro as, as an option. Uh, might, he might make the team. But I think, you know, one thing that they do do is... Uh, you know, show their in internal guys uh, favorites over over external guys, and Harold Castro. Um, you know, Altrea is going to be better defensively. He's a he's a shortstop. Yeah, you know, from a fantasy perspective, we don't get a, a vote in this, but you know, I might root for Castro because at least he has hit for average, and maybe with the the move to mm-hmm. cores, we see a little bit more power. A uh, little, little bit of intrigue there. Definitely, we're talking deep league with with either of these candidates. So, something to watch there. And again, especially to see if Rogers is going to be draftable uh, going forward. A uh, couple. Yeah. What's I'm the sorry. What's the bench in in Colorado if Rogers out for the year? Build a bench. The build a bench is Brian Servin at backup catcher. You got to have that. Uh, backup center fielder on Fangraph says Harold Castro's in the mix. I don't know about that. Randall Grichuk, I think, can still probably backup center, but that's not a great option. But uh, and and he's a starter somewhere else. So I think Harold Castro makes this team. Uh, Harold Castro yeah. looks like he's needed in center, backup middle infield. He's listed as the third shortstop on this <laughs> roster. Uh, so you got Harold Castro, Brian Servin on your bench, man, there's still a lot of open, uh, spots there. I suppose Iluhira, Iluhira's Montero could make it. 
Um, Sean Bouchard is going to make it. So uh, that's your bench, probably. Bouchard, Castro, uh, Bouchard, Castro, Servin, and one more. So Castro's definitely on this team. Castro's, I think Castro just made the team. Uh, let's go to uh, a couple of items that I personally don't think have a lot of impact, but uh, again, you know, I'm kind of interested to see how this might or might not change things for you. Reese Hoskins and uh, Ozzy Albies both having some sort of cleanup surgery in the off season. Hoskins with arthroscopic knee surgery back in December. Albies had surgery on his right shoulder in October, and he had been dealing with an impingement uh, prior to that. And of course, Albies dealing with a variety of injuries in, in 2022. Uh, I believe that there was no labrum damage to Albie's shoulder, as far as I could tell. Um, and uh, that is good news. So uh, an impingement is not quite labrum fraying. Any sort of labrum repair is a bigger deal. So I think that's what they, when they say just a regular cleanup, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, it seems seems uh, not such a big deal the type of knee surgery that hoskins had also um on the lower end of knee surgeries uh meniscus is interesting though because you have a choice between sort of repairing the meniscus which takes more rehab time Mm -hmm. but is better for you long term and do we know if it was meniscus repair i don't recall seeing anything about that so um I don't yeah, repair. Oh, it was okay. It was repair. I think that's better for him. I think that's better. Okay. Because uh, the other kind is they basically just take the meniscus out, and then you're kind of bone on bone. You have a risk of arthritis going forward. I know we have doctors who listen. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but my understanding is that repair repair takes longer to recover from. So if there is anything for Hoskins, it would be that he had to do some rehab this offseason, couldn't do as much hitting. But I don't know. He seems like he's one of those fall-out-of-bed types, don't you think? Like, yeah. Worst-case scenario, he hits 220 with his 35 homers? I don't know. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a difference that matters. But um, you know, I guess the question is just, you know, for me, he would be kind of a fallback option anyway. So at that stage, I don't know that this is news that really would make me wait a little longer. Yeah. The first base is a a sneaky, tough position. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, it is sometimes nice to get that Vlad Guerrero, Freddie Freeman, you know, uh, guy at the beginning uh, that just locks it down because, uh, you know, Rowdy Telez is one of my uh, favorite last chance saloon guys. And when you're kind of after Rowdy Telez, there's a bit of a line there where it's like, I'm not as excited anymore about any of these guys. What have I done? Yeah. Well, I made a point in the TGFBI to get Matt Olson pretty early because I do think there's a substantial fall off there. And uh, it's not in the same category with Vlad, but, um, you know, Freddie Freeman, certainly, but uh, much better than, than the Reese Hoskins of the, of the player pool. I think there's been a little bit of a change uh, in how the league works first base, too. Uh, 
you know, I think we used to have a lot more teams like the Rays that were just like, hey, we've got some guys and they play first base, you know, and like, we'll figure it out. Uh, there's been a little bit more of, uh, look at the Yankees uh, spending money on Anthony Rizzo, right. uh, you know, and you look at the Dodgers going and getting uh, Freddie Freeman and you look at the Astros paying Jose Abreu. Those are three of the most progressive uh, uh teams in baseball that they're actually valuing first base and 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 making it that such it it also means that there are fewer teams where somebody will gain first base eligibility yeah it actually that used to be i think something that happened more often i'm just sort of anecdotal in terms of uh but i i think now uh when i think of someone gaining uh something i think of outfield maybe um no, that's uh, that's a good point, and it's things have gone sort of topsy turvy from you know say ten years ago when uh, shortstops were really at a premium and it wasn't that deep of a position, and it's like you got first base eligibility. Well, so what? Um, and right. now it's really kind of flipped. Uh, where yeah, mostly I think because uh, shortstop is uh, where you put your most athletic young player, you put your star, you put in, and so every team is scrambling hard to have a good shortstop. You know. And the, there's not that many teams that are doing what the Braves and Dodgers are doing right now, which is uh, stopgap type stuff. Yeah. Uh, but the Dodgers sort of backed into that. They wanted, they kept Gavin Lux in a lot of trades. They didn't want him gone. They wanted him to be their shortstop of the future. So they, that's what they wanted. Yeah. And I think the Braves are still headed towards Vaughn Grissom. I, I'm just a little bit worried about how much Orlando RC is playing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to watch too. Because yeah, I've uh, not been. That that interested in, in Grissom uh, because of the same concern. So yeah, that's that's a good one to watch. Well, you know, speaking of of spring trends and spring numbers, we did promise at the outset here that we would talk about some very 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 early spring numbers here. I'm just going to bring up a couple of players, and then you know, I know you've got some spring stuff plus numbers that are, are interesting. But a couple of players have uh, already joined the three home run club: uh, Jared Kelnick and Ronnie Mauricio. Interesting in different ways, obviously. For you know, Kelnick, we're not that surprised. Maybe that uh, you know he would show this kind of early power, but he kind of. I think needs a good spring maybe to, to rebuild uh, our confidence in the, in the fantasy community. And then Mauricio, I mean, can he force uh, a roster spot out of this? I don't think he's at that point yet, but um, I, I still think that Beatty's ahead of him. And if, if it's not, um, if it's not Beatty, then it's uh, more likely to be not Beatty. Then I don't think it'll be Mauricio. I think it will be more likely to be some sort of veteran, uh, approach there um, at third because they still have Escobar and instead of having uh, you know Beatty or uh, Mauricio as a third base option they could just have Luis Guillorme, um and then have an extra outfielder you know which they seem to have an extra a bit of those maybe Ruff makes the team instead of Beatty mm-hmm. that sort of deal um, I don't think Mauricio is about to make this team. And the other thing that's uh, interesting about Mauricio is that he's had, he's shown this, he's shown power. That has not been the problem. And so, the, you know, the real question for his ceiling, I think, is patience. Um, at this point, I think he's shown that he could come up and, you know, hit 240, get on base at like a 290, 300 level and uh, hit for maybe league average power. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, 
that doesn't sum up to a great major league real life player. And so he's kind of more interesting to fantasy players than in real life. And the big question is, can he either just like get back to like 15% K rate and just be a guy who walks 5% K's 15% and like gets a lot out of his balls and plays and has like a 320 OBP. That's one way of going forward for him. The other way is he's got to be more patient. So those are the two way, things I'm looking at a little bit more than the power output from Ronnie Mauricio. All right. All right. Well, um, let's get to those uh, numbers that you were you were very excited about, Stuff Plus. Oh, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's fun to get Stuff Plus. I was, I was just talking to uh, Jordan, um, who points out that the regression amounts uh, for f- by pitch type um, are, uh, are very small when you look at uh, some of our best pitches in terms of uh, forcing fastball, 18 pitches. At 18 pitches, if you were going to project someone's stuff plus on their forcing fastball going forward, you would start to use their uh, their actual stuff plus. So it takes 18 pitches till you start, start getting more signal than noise. And in fact, we are already at 18 pitches for some of these forcing fastballs uh, with great stuff. Trevor Megill leads the spring training people who have pitched in front of machines. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not all of spring training. Uh, and also uh, you had to have 18 fastballs. But Trevor Megill had a 142 stuff plus on his 21 fastballs. That is really good news. That means the velo's back. That means at least the fastball in place. I also like that he was talking curveball with Max Scherzer. If he can just put together one really solid secondary he has kind of okay secondaries if he could have like a really like a plus secondary with that fastball he has breakout potential and much more than david peterson if you ask me all right well i'm more excited about trevor Megill than david peterson yeah and those two pitchers become a little bit more relevant because there was a, a news item within the last day or two about the mets going to uh, a six uh, six-man rotation uh, when they don't have a break in the schedule, I think it's like 10 straight games, but also not just limited to that either. So uh, it's not going to be a, a six-man rotation all season long, but enough that let's say somebody like uh, Miguel gets, uh, you know, certainly gets more of a chance to start. And then, you know, you get your foot in the door and maybe there's an opportunity for for a bigger role. So is that something that you... I mean, I'd like that for injury prevention and load management on Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer. Yeah. Um, I don't like that because it means fewer starts for Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. And it's the type of thing that people say in spring and then uh, they discard as soon as the Phillies are, you know, in first place and they're not. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think that we should take that with uh, uh, just a, a little grain of salt. But however, uh, with a, a rotation that old, uh, with that much injury risk, uh, frankly, I think Megill uh, becomes super interesting. Even Peterson, they're going to use both of these guys. I'm just a little bit more excited about Megill. Um, also, in uh, in second place there uh, among pitchers that pitched in front of the machines and threw 18 fastballs is Luis Ortiz. Love this guy to death. I just I don't think they break camp with him. Uh, so that's a kind of a, a guy to stash for later. Bednar's in uh, in full form. Uh, Nate Peterson's 100-mile-an-hour fastballs are on this list. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann only threw eight forcing fastballs, but he had a 128 stuff plus. That looks nice. 
Luis Severino struggled, but his fastball was at a 127 stuff plus. So I am still on the Luis Severino train. And everybody's asking, everybody everywhere is asking, what did Andrew Painter look like in the numbers? Andrew Painter had a 110 uh, fastball forcing stuff plus, which I think is lower than you might expect given the velos he was putting up. So there is... You know, people were right to maybe question his uh, the shape on his fastball. However, it's still a 110 uh, stuff loss on the fastball, and he still throws as hard as he does. So I think he's, he's good as long as he throws that hard. Uh, Andrew Painter's curveball did not register well, but he threw one. And the cutter and slider th- did well, but he only threw nine. So I just wanted to comment really quickly on his fastball because he did throw 19 of them. And we're starting to get some uh, notable somewhat actionable numbers so if painter does have a 110 stuff plus fastball then uh giddy up all right all right well um i'm looking forward to coming back to this revisiting this uh, a little bit later in spring training when we've got more pitchers pitching in front of the the cameras when we've got or the machines and we've got uh more pitches to talk about because like if somebody's thrown a pitch three times uh, you know we certainly want to see a larger sample than that so there's no there's no regression amount on our list that's that the fat forcing fastball our model does the best on that and the slider the sliders 19 sliders uh if, you, if anybody's interested in this it's sort of wonky but uh it does tell you if you're looking at uh, per pitch type numbers for stuff plus these are the most uh these are our strongest foot feet forward the forcing fastball 18 slider 19 um you know curveball is 14 uh mm. and knuckle curve is 21 so I would say you put those two together and you get around 18, 19. Sinker, we've got up to 20. Uh, so we're doing good there. Change up, 40. And that gives you a sense. And cutter, 31. That gives you a sense of the weaknesses in the model. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we're always trying to mess around with. Those are the things we're trying to improve. Um, and uh, and then also, just so you know, uh, the locations for all of these. Uh, the fastball does well, but it's at 227. So that's why Location Plus is important, uh, but it takes a long time to come online. All right. Well, again, we'll see, you know, some more meaningful numbers as we get deeper into spring training. Of course, there's always, you know, caveats with any kind of spring training number, but at least there's, you know, something that that can help help to inform us. So uh, interesting topic. And that said, if there's things that you have uh, questions for us about or things that you would be interested in having us discussing, shoot us an email. You can uh, email us at ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. So that's ratesandbarrels all spelled out. Uh, you can ask in the comments section that's right below this video uh, on YouTube, or you can find us on uh, Twitter. Eno is at Eno Saris. I'm at Al Melchior. BB and uh, that's gonna be a wrap then for this episode but uh, we will be back uh, on Friday with uh, actually I will be back on Friday with Greg Jewett we'll be talking all kinds of reliever talk uh, that'll be good and uh, uh, you know we'll uh, have you back on the on the show next week so uh, thank you all so much for uh, joining us here and uh, we'll be back again with uh, some more good stuff thanks for listening